1: We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey.
2: What is up, Screenwriting Life family? Producer Jeff here, and I want to start by saying I hope all of you had a wonderful and restful Thanksgiving. As promised, we're bringing you a special this week, and what we ended up doing was cutting together an episode to support you all emotionally. you know, One of the things that really separates our podcast from other screenwriting shows is our emphasis on talking about the emotional challenges that accompany the creative journey. And we've had so many writers beautifully discuss how they cope with those challenges. And so we're kind of viewing this as a way to amp up your emotional toolbox and continue to build emotional fortitude when it comes to your journey as a writer. So let's go ahead and dive in. I'd like to start with a clip from Sam Bain, who is not only an award-winning comedy writer, but also a fan of our show. So Sam, if you're listening, hi. (laughs) I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. In terms of what Sam talked about that really resonated with me is this idea that talent is an essential part of us finding success as a writer, but so much more important than that is the idea of emotional fortitude and fostering a temperament that will set us up for success in this business. I thought that was just brilliant, and I think you will too.
1: Uh, you talk about getting notes and how much you like people to read. Um, what is your process? You know, we talk a lot. We, you know, we get notes. It's like, fuck you. Fuck me. Okay. Now I have to do it. Uh, I don't know that that's universal, but what's I your experience when you get notes?
3: Uh, you know, I, I, I love, I love getting notes. No, I don't. I hate getting
0: notes. <laughs> I was going to say, oh my God, we've met you. We've met him. You're we've the
1: unicorn. Met, we've met there the unicorn. <laughs> I like I mean, the way though you tried to say it with such conviction. What do like I You're liked. trying to make yeah. it true for yourself.
3: I'm just thinking about your t-shirt and your mug that I yes, saw on I the Yes, I did website. just get
1: the. I got the notebook last night. It says I love getting notes, and I was like, but do I? <laughs> okay, I have a notebook.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just depends, right? I mean, it's. I like the fuck you, fuck me thing. I would relate to it's. It's pretty hideous, and it doesn't really get any easier. I think that, you know, it's important to make time to emotionally process all these things, and sometimes that can take a while. I think that, for me, I've found that, you know, the more I can allow myself to have the fuck you feelings, the better, right? Mm. I think it's dangerous to pretend that it's all fine Mm. when it isn't. And I've been very fortunate in the sense that I get notes generally off very smart people who are engaged. I've only had a few bad experienced people who I didn't think were giving me good notes. Um, And, you know, it is about sort of positive self-talk and focusing on what can be done to, you know, if there's one, if you get a shit ton of terrible notes and it's really demoralizing, there must be one thing in there that can make your script 1% better. So just start with that, you know? Um, But yeah, it's tough. I think having a partner helps because it's a more of a shared, you can almost laugh about, wow, that really went badly. It's harder on your own. You know, you have to, to me, one of the reasons I love listening to the show is because I feel like I have you guys in my corner because if I'm writing solo, which I do mostly, I get the notes there's no one to sort of turn to but knowing that everyone's going through the same thing really helps. I don't know if you've um, gotten a chance to read one of the critical things which you know you talk about so much in the show is the emotional self-management and I think that one of the one of the um you know you can read a lot of books on screenwriting and it's mostly about craft but one of the great things about your show is you understand how that's only half the picture you know a lot of it is developing a temperament and I know a lot of very talented writers that I've worked with who maybe have all the talent but don't have the temperament you basically can't handle the pain right Mm. because a lot of writing is just pain disappointment frustration anxiety the list is fairly endless I won't go on to be too depressing but you know you need to have stamina you need to have a certain amount of of, um, bloody mindedness to stick it out And I think that people maybe underestimate that at the start because we're all enthusiastic and maybe we have some talent, which is fantastic. But if you really want to make a go of it over 30 years or whatever,
2: that temperament piece is the critical piece, actually. Closely connected to this idea of the inevitability of notes, uh, Matt Lieberman was on our show. He recently wrote Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds. And he was talking about how notes are just such an inevitable part of our journey as a writer especially when we start getting paid to do it and how the thing i love that matt talked about was every piece of the production puzzle from producers to writers to directors even to editors right want to make sure that they're leaving their creative stamp on the material or the blueprint that you've created so kind of getting comfy with that idea is a really important part of the process
4: yeah I've had to yeah I've had to give people their bad ideas and and, you know if if they're you know a good enough producer they'll be like I know I told you to do this like and yeah it doesn't work and another thing I found is like studio notes is like they'll give you notes that you know I'll like I'm the first one to kill my darlings and I'll like to make it work I will like I will reconstruct huge parts of the script when maybe that wasn't necessarily. Maybe like a lot of notes are sometimes more nuanced. You, you don't have to be dress Like when you, when you talk about band-aid fixes, like, uh, yeah, I, there's nothing worse than reading somebody else's script and seeing where they clearly just jam these things and you don't want to have that in any kind of assignment. So, and usually, yeah, you just need to be a little more nuanced probably than you think.
1: I think that the overall thing that we just keep talking about on the show, right, is you have to learn by doing and even then you're still sort of you're still just sort of every opportunity is a new opportunity to learn something right there there is no code you crack you know you learn okay don't do that okay do this but it doesn't always work in every situation there's no guarantees nothing is real yay being a tv writer yay being a film <laughs> writer <laughs> right it's like it's hard you know everything right. <laughs>
0: I love going and being on panels because always every panelist walks off and goes, yeah, right. Shit. I forgot that in my script. Like even though they're on the panel talking about how to be a writer, you were like, fuck, I'm not doing that. I forgot that part. Like it's just because it's so kind of ginormous what you're trying to do. Right. It should, in the end, like any great art looks super simple. Right. But actually to get to that simplicity is so It's just a a lot of work. Right. Uh, It's, you know, it's even to get when you talk about high concept ideas, finding that high concept idea that you can say in a line or like when your manager had that you had that wonderful day that he's like, this is special, which I think we all live for. Mm -hmm. Um, I live for someone saying this is a movie. You're like, whoa, that is the brass ring (laughs) to get to that are a lot of misfires. And I think that's a a lot of special.
1: This is a movie. I have a few notes. Right. Well, there's always it's, notes. I mean, just come always. on. Now, gonna
0: they're, my <laughs> I told you, my friend at the premiere of her movie got notes from the the distributor uh, at the premiere party. Like, I mean, there's always <laughs> notes.
4: Yeah.
0: Um, you know, he was taking the movie back and cutting it. So, like, there's always notes. But like, I just think that sometimes emerging writers think that you write a script a couple of times and it's done. And it's like. No, you're going to write that script many times to get to the next script, which you're going to write many times to get to the next script to write many times to get to that high concept idea. Because there is like you're right, Lorian, like it it always is learning. But at the same time, you're gathering tools like Matt, you have a toolbox so that when you took this personal idea of the, rep- the repetitiveness of your life. And then you had this oddball, wonderful thought as you're walking around, your brain knows how because it's written so many scripts. It's gone through this so many times. You knew that's an idea. I know how to do that. Like it is, a. you do need to do all this work to get the tools in the toolbox, you do.
4: Absolutely. I mean, very occasionally I've had friends who like, you know, had very big success early on and then they don't know how to repeat it. Like it takes them a couple of years to catch up. Like they're like, how do I do that again? Like that, uh yeah, you're gonna have to do the work one way or another. Uh you can't definitely can't count on getting lucky. Like it's yeah, you you have to do this because it's come it's pouring out of every pore. You you want to do this. Like, yeah, I was it took so many years of a day job working nights and weekends to even get to the first step. Uh and I didn't ever even feel like I was at that first step. It's still, yeah, I I still don't.
0: And you're mentoring too, which we think is so admirable. Have you ever, have you ever mentored a a writer like directly with their work or is it more general? And, and, and by that, I mean, sometimes when I'm mentoring and I'm reading their work and giving notes, or sometimes when I was teaching, when you get it back, you're like, well, they heard 10% of that, which I understand because their brain is frying and they don't even have the experience to maybe understand what you're saying. They haven't written it. Like, do you find that or have you, or do you say more kind of general screenwriting questions?
4: No, no, I I, I help d- definitely help people with their work. I worked at, uh, for Imagine Impact where I literally was working with uh, uh, the one writing team and uh, an- another guy like to, uh, yeah, to develop their screenplay. And being a screenwriter is kind of a meditation and eating shit. <laughs> Someone told me like, Everybody is always, I hope I'm not a curse. Everybody's always fighting material. It is the nature of the beast. A uh, producer, if he loves your script to make it his own, the producer has notes. A director, to make it their own, they're going to have notes. The actor, who's going to have to put themselves out there and, and sell this stuff, they're going to have to make it their own. So everybody is constantly fighting the material. And in order to be okay, you have to be, I mean, you could talk about you know the self loathing of being a screenwriter, you <laughs> uh, but you have to be okay with like putting your baby out in the world and taking notes and uh, and kind of yeah, killing your darlings and being okay with that. Like, I don't care where you are in, in the world, uh, you, you know, it's not perfect, it probably can always, you know, be better. So, you at least have to see, you at least have to try. You, as a writer, you have the thing that you already have. <laughs> if you're like, if I'm a writer, I'm giving it to somebody. To get notes like you already have the thing you gave them so you're good but like here especially if it's somebody who knows what they're doing yeah hear what they have to say like blow up stuff see what that looks like you can always go back to the thing and most likely and even if it's a producer whose notes you you don't agree with you're gonna put your own vitamins into that no matter what it is so uh yeah i, I would say as a writer who's getting mentored be open
1: I think that's what you said about, you're going to put your own vitamins in it. That's really important because you, you get a note, the impulse when you get mad and you think it's a bad note is just fine. I'll just literally put what you said in Uh. it to prove to you, (laughs) right? You can't do that. You have to be like, okay, what is the note? And how do I make this work for this script in my voice? And, you know, like the, the job, your job is not to prove them wrong. Your job is to figure out how to make it work, right? So you right. have to like, again, more math, but it, the impulse can be, you know, fine, you fucking write it. You know, like that kind of table flipping moments that I've never experienced in my life. That's a hypothetical. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but you know, that you, you have to sort of, what is it, your ego, your, you know, whatever it is, you gotta sort of invite right. that part of yourself to sit down.
2: We recently had Stacy Rukeyser on the show, who is currently showrunning Sex Life on Netflix. Huge hit for that network. Um, and she was talking about, speaking of notes, sort of her hill to die on when it came to notes that she was getting from the network. And the one thematic note that she knew she had to stick to for the show to succeed. So it's interesting for Stacy to talk about processing through her notes from the network knowing that her convictions were the right convictions when it came to her job as a showrunner, but also approaching those notes with humility. I think my biggest takeaway that Stacy talks about here is the fact that if we humble ourselves to seriously consider every note that we get, it will always make our work better.
1: When you have notes come in from whatever source, how do you figure out sort of what, quote, hills to die on, mm-hmm. right? How do you ne- negotiate that?
5: Yeah. Well, that's a very good one. I mean, I think it's really important to take some time and not respond right on the call. <laughs> and I know everyone always says that, and it seems so obvious so that anyone so listening hard. to this yeah, would say like, of course, I'm not going to, I'm going to say the classic, let me think about that, or let me take a look at that or whatever. But then you're in the moment and it's the thing that was so important to you and you find yourself going, but, but let me just explain to you why I'm doing this. <laughs> Whatever, right? You know, um, And I've found that a lot of executives are now um, sending notes in writing, which I find interesting, but also helpful for the do not respond right away thing. Because even if you find yourself watching Friday family movie night with your kids when that email comes in and you find yourself responding on your phone to the email because you can't That's help it. yourself while you're watching, you can realize, I am not gonna send this email right now. I'm gonna put this aside. Um, but um, I, I will tell you, I have not said this publicly before, but I will tell you that the naked shower scene in season one of Sex Life was one of my hills to die on, and uh, the reason I felt so strongly about it was, um, first of all, this was a, a a show that is about female desire and the female gaze, and um, and I and I just thought it's coming from such a character place. Like it was not like we thought, how can we make a shocking moment? Oh, let's have a naked penis. How can we get a naked penis in our show? That's not at all how it came about. It came about because we were like, okay, now Cooper, the husband is going to become obsessed with the ex-boyfriend. And so where does that take us? He's stalking him now. Okay. Now he's stalking him. Like, where does that take us? And then it was like bit by bit we were like, Oh my God. And then he's going into the, Oh, he's going to go into the shower. Oh my God. He's going to look. So it was coming from such a character place for me. So I was like, this really makes sense to me. And then finally I was like, if this is really female desire and the female gaze, there's so much female nudity. There has to be at least one shot of of male nudity in it you know and they weren't certain and there seems to be a lot of interesting opinions about whether women actually like seeing penises or not and I was like you know the heterosexual women that I know seem to enjoy it but um, but I was like I I said those words I said this is my hill to Zion it was one of them I will say it's not the only hill to Zion but it was one of (laughs) them Um, And then, yeah, it turned out to be like this big TikTok meme and and all of this stuff, which, of course, they love now. But but um, but there were definitely conversations with my writers and with my producer, you know, my writer, producer, directors, you know, before I wrote back and said, this is my hell to die on, you know, Um, because I will say there was another flash of um, male nudity in an earlier episode that did get cut out. Um, and I was okay with that, but then I was like, but the shower needs to stay, you know? So, so I do think, um, taking the time and then frankly, if you write back, (laughs) um, it forces you to be also more thoughtful about your reasons why, and then at least they can see that in writing and then you can have a conversation about it, you know, but I'm under no, like, like this is show business you know, and these are people who are, you know, putting up a great deal of money to, you know, make these shows. And I, there was no point where I thought like, well, I'm definitely going to be victorious. Like I definitely was like, I'm going to, I'm going to fight this fight, you know, but you always have to know, like, if you don't want to have to collaborate or get approval or whatever, like go write a novel, you know, or something,
1: poetry or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I do think I agree with you. I do think there's this idea that you get to be the showrunner, you have created a show, <laughs> and it's all you, right? I think I've, I think we've tried our best to disabuse people of that notion, right? And but I think it, it's this sort of, um, it's tough to imagine that like you're going to get noted, you're going to be challenged, you're going to have to defend yourself all the time,
2: but oh, you're yeah. also going
1: to have to find a way to do what you say, right? Which is what write it down take your time articulate what it is actually maybe discover what it is that's so important to you while you're writing while you're sorting yeah. it through rather than responding on the phone
5: yeah and I always do try to see how it could be like you know because even like when you get a note that you don't like you need to go back into the writer's room and all your writers are up in arms too and going like we love this for good reason or whatever but I always say like Let's just see how it could be. What would that look like if it, if it was like that, you know? And, and I do have to say, I think across the board, it's like, it's terrible to say this or admit this, but every note that I've gotten I, uh, from anyone, from executives, actors, directors, whatever, I feel like has improved the material because it does exactly what you're saying. It forces you to go back and say, what is, when, what am I trying to say here? How is it not quite clear or what what are these people bumping on like how how could it be otherwise and then and then you sort of discover what is your your line in the sand you know and um, and what is the thing that like would make you walk I don't know I mean it's like to walk away from a show but like what is and maybe there isn't one you know but um, but I know what it is you know for for sex life like I, I don't know if I want to say because like let's hope in however many seasons of the show I get to do that I never have to go like well I lay down and (laughs)
6: let them cross
5: that line or whatever but (laughs) but I certainly have my like idea of what that is now yeah
0: Hey everyone, so the new version of Final Draft, Final Draft 13, is out, and you know, the question's going around, is it worth it? Is it worth it to buy or upgrade? And our
1: answer is yes. So I recently got notes on a pilot, and I want to see how it works in my rewrite to move a couple of scenes, and usually what I do is, you know, cut and paste, uh, which works out sometimes, but mostly it means I lose text because I move so quickly but the new version of Final Draft has this cool feature called Navigator 2.0 where you can actually just move scenes around right in your script so without losing something, I can see what's working, what I'm missing, or what needs to be rewritten, or, you know, if I have to lose the scene altogether. But it's really, really helpful, and what's most important to me about this is that I'm not losing anything. Woohoo! Yes. I am laying out a new
0: project, and I want to card it, and I can now do that inside of Final Draft, and it's now a super easy way you can take those cards and then make them into an outline with a simple drag and drop so it's just a great way to see the larger story that you're writing and get down the details track characters i just love it and for our emerging writers a great new feature is final draft lets you set writing goals like page count or timed writing sprints which is super cool
1: so, uh, we think the new version is really worth uh, investing in. So, you can head over to finaldraftcom products to get the new version with a discount code of Screen FD for 25% off. You should check it out.
0: That's Screen FD, S C R E E N F D.
2: Guardians of the Galaxy writer Nicole Perlman was recently on our show, and among a million amazing insights, one of the things I love that she talked about was the fact that we need to do everything we can to preserve the fact that we actually like (laughs) writing. I know it can be so daunting and frustrating and emotionally challenging, as we're talking about with all these guests on the show, but doing everything we can to protect the sacred craft, and sometimes that means saying no. So I think... What Nicole had to say about that was really interesting. And then Meg and her got into a discussion about writing Captain Marvel. Of course, they co-wrote, both have story credit on that movie. And um, in the early process, what questions they had to be asking about the movie, the central character, and how it connected to their own life.
7: Yeah, I think that's a really important lesson too, just because like I, w- one of the things that really stuck with me um, was a few years ago, I was... Uh, you know, a mentor at Sundance. I'm I'm one of the creative advisors and the late great Audrey Wells um, Mm -hmm. was a a, uh, advisor there too. Um, And we overlapped for a couple of years and um, she, and then she was like, what are you working on? And I was like, Oh God, like, I've got all these things. I've stacked myself. Like I'm like four deep right now and they're all in different stages. So maybe that's okay. And, and she was like, she was like, you look really stressed out. And, and she's like, and you're not talking about these projects with any joy. And she said, you know, you're, you're um, it's in everybody else's interest except yours to stack you, um, you know, but you, you're you not going to do your best work that way. And the worst thing is, is, it might burn you out and it might make you not want to write anymore. Um, because like, if you have a lot of, if, you, if you're stacked so deep on a, on a bunch of projects, you're not going to do your best work. You're going to have bad experiences because you didn't do your best work, but also because the more people you interact with, the likelihood that you're going to have a toxic personality is much higher um, with the more people you work with at one time. And, and it might very well make you hate what you get to do for a living, which is a blessing that we get to do something so creative. And, and it really stuck with me. Um, and, it, and it kind of has shaped my my um, career philosophy for the last couple of years, is just like, you know, you get candy, candy is a great way of putting it, is, is we're lucky enough that we get offered these things, which seem, you know, whether they're based on IP that we love or whether there's like a, just a story nugget that you see in there and you're like, oh, I could knock that out of the park. But if you're already, if, if you know that you're gonna be you know, layered into the future, you're going to be letting yourself down, letting down the people you're working for right now and possibly letting down that project. And it just leads to a lot of stress. I mean, I know a lot of people who can do it, um, but I've, I've come to realize that I don't I don't work best. I don't do my best when work I, that way.
0: And I, I realized I don't do my best work that way. And again, they you know, part of it was like, they have to wait legally because I am, but even waiting, there was an expectation of doing research and get like, it was just not going to be able, I was just not going to be able to do it. And it was also kind of facing well, yeah, I might be able to physically do it, but that means I'm not with my kids on a Saturday. Hmm. And and I'm not with my husband and I'm not gonna be able to go on that girlfriend trip that I was planning. And you know, like, there's also quality of life. So again, high class problem because for emerging writers, you're like, I would take any job. But then I also wanna be like, why would you don't take any job? You have to take a job that you know you can do super well, knock out of the park. You know I mean? You just have to be careful. The other question that came in, which I do remember a lot from Haley was about the pressure of, of her being the first female to get her own movie yeah and i do remember i remember i brought it up all the time because mm-hmm. any and, and finally i remember one day nicole you were like we just have to forget this like we can, <laughs> it's we just have to not think about this anymore because and i think it was you who said look at look at look at the avengers any of those storylines if we give them to her people if someone's going to be mad yeah. about it right like Oh, she just really wants to go home and be with her family. Mm-hmm. Oh, she, you know, whatever. And so we, at some point, as much as we're thinking about it, yeah. it also can't be the center of the movie right. that she's female. Yeah. Do you remember that? I whole do, thing? I do.
7: I remember thinking like, if you had made Iron Man from the beginning and it was, uh, if it was Pepper Potts, or if it was a woman from the beginning in the Iron Man suit, they would be like, well, she's, you're saying that women can only get, their powers from what they're wearing. And, you know, it was like, it was like, oh God, you know? And so it was a little bit, but, but I think it was good in that it really forced us to, um, you know, interrogate what 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 was the most um, true and authentic, but also sort of refreshing and powerful thing we could say with this movie. Um, and and I think the um, the resilience and the idea of what what is what is failure, what is what does that do? I mean, and also like the, the not just failure but also like the the compassion that is such a part of being human and like your humanity being what gives you strength not just uh how much you know how hard you can punch something and she she can punch planets or whatever like she it's not that that is not why she is strong and I think I think that that once we had that feeling about what this is what the movie was going to be about um you know I felt like we had had done something really good
1: well, I want to thank both of you for the work you did in creating the emotional spine of this movie. It meant a lot to me. Well, I'm fangirling. <laughs> it meant a lot to me as a woman, as a mother of a daughter, that some of the things that I saw in that movie, the conversations that were going on in it and outside of it, were really important. Like, just really important. Just what you're talking about resilience, right? I think. The world is built in a way that we do have to be resilient unfortunately right Mm -hmm. but that it is something that you know we have to do right and so that we can take power from that too Mm -hmm. right we don't have to be victims and I, i just uh so thank you
2: both in the same way that Nicole talked about putting boundaries on her work, recent guest Sean Preissant, uh beautifully spoke about how we can create boundaries when we're on a job. And of course, if you're staffed on a show and you're writing, you're busy. You, know? you might have 12 hour days, especially as you approach production. Um, and Sean, who has tons of experience in rooms, wrote about what we can do in our personal life uh, with the ones we love who we're not necessarily working with to create the best environment for both us and for them to succeed.
1: This is a question uh, Meg and I get asked. Most women get asked. But how do you manage uh, your personal life and your professional life? Because being in a writer's room, being a writer, is very demanding emotionally, mentally, physically. Like, so how do you balance your life with it?
8: Um, you balance your life. <clears throat> That's a hard question. It's you. I think it's like any other demanding job you just you know um you you try to make sure that like when you do have time off you are attentive to the people around you you know um that you nurture your friendships and your relationships and your family um with the time you have you know people are very understanding generally not always but mostly you know and also i think it helps to share your excitement about what you're doing with them right because then they know why you're there. They know what you're doing. And also, you know, talk about everything that's going on there, right? Like if, if this is probably true of every job, but like when you have a job that sucks up all your time and attention and exhausts you, you know, the people around you should at least know what you're doing, you know? They should know who you're working with, all that, so that they feel like they're participating in it. Um, but do make sure that like, if you're getting burned out, Know when you need to take a day and just like, I need to chill out. I need to not talk to anybody. I need to sleep. I need to watch TV. I need to play video games. I need to do something mindless, you know, or I need to get out of town. You know, this is, I mean, I think you'll find this may be shifting. Um, but mostly you're stuck in LA if you're doing this, if you're doing TV, right. You are in a writer's room, you are in LA now with zoom. And this is the corollary before I went on a tangent before, um, zoom rooms, I think are going to continue on and off. Like it might be, we might be looking at kind of a hybrid situation. Um, what has been good about Zoom Rooms is you have more time. You know, they're shorter and more intense, but you have more time and you're at home. So when you break for lunch, you know, you can you can eat with the people that you are with. Like you don't, you're not s- sort of stuck in this room.
1: hide from them. Yeah,
8: or hide from that them. set out there. Yeah, I'm just busy. lock the door and say,
1: we're still working. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. Calling. Yeah, call my
8: pizza gets here. Yeah. Postmates <laughs> shows up, but, but it is, but you do, you know, self-care is important, you know, like you don't want to burn out. Um, and it can be rooms are exhausting physically. They can be emotionally exhausting, especially if there's like one person in there that you can't stand, you know, like it's amazing the difference between having a room where everybody gets along and having that one person who just makes the day difficult. Um, you know, and it's, and yeah, you bond with everyone else over them. Don't be that person. person. Yeah. Um, And two, then it's, it, it takes a toll because you, you get home and you're like wanting to, and feeling like you're justified at yelling at somebody all day and not being able to is emotionally devastating. (laughs) You get home and you're just like, (laughs) I'm so tired. Don't talk to me. But you, you, you know, but no, when that's, when it's like that and communicate that it's like, ah, horrible day. I feel like this because this happens and, you know, it's okay. Just include the people in your lives and don't stop your life. You know, uh, the good thing about this, the, the hard thing about what we do is that uh, when you're doing it, it can be all encompassing. The good thing is it does tend to be episodic. So you'll get these periods between that are when you have that time, try to enjoy that time and not get, too stressed out, which is, I know this is easier said than done. I'm shaking my head, but It's I'm like my head. <laughs> you know, it, it's like that, it, cause then you're back on a show again and you have no time and you're like, oh, why didn't I do anything during those, like those four well, I mean, the months to seven is years so, when I wasn't on something. Yet. The
1: reality is you're so potentially panicked and stressed about getting on another mm-hmm. project that it is hard oh, yeah. to find that, that balancey rhythm
2: so many of the emotional challenges we encounter in this business have to do with rejection and of course that's just the name of the game no matter what level you're at is getting told no frequently but our recent guest monique matthews whose hallmark movie a holiday in harlem dropped a couple weeks ago um spoke about the fact that sometimes we can get good no's. you know i think it's so easy for us to take every no at face value and view it as a stab to our creative soul but Sometimes the no's we get actually show a lot of promise for the future of our projects. And I thought this was just a really beautiful way to frame rejection.
0: Monique, we always have to ask because our, our, a lot of our listeners are so interested. And how did you break into the business?
6: Break in after 20 years. Um, well, <laughs> it's a pretty interesting story. Um, I went to UCLA Film School in the producing program about 20 years ago as a writer which I think is one of the most important things to do. It actually speaks to what I do in my in my classes, um, is that you have to do your due diligence and you should know about the business of show before you're just writing. Like it's great to write, but it's really great to understand audience and the business of show is an audience. So I did that, I had really quick um, success. It seemed like I was this great rising star. Um, a lot, I was on the cover of um, Filmmaker Magazine, uh, Daily Variety, 10 Writers to Watch. I did Film Independent Director in the Writers Lab. So everything was going really, really great. And then we had the uh, Writers Guild Strike of 2007 and the business model shifted from features to TV. And I had, and there was another, there was other sets of perfect storms in my life. Um, My grandmother was sick, I had to take care of her. Just like everything kind of merged into one. And I had to figure out what the next step was while I can keep writing. And I was just really fortunate enough to um, start teaching and teaching has been a trade for me. I've been teaching since I was 13 and reading is fundamental um, at St. Aloysius School growing up in Harlem, New York. So I just, I went there and I, and I just really wanted to focus on the craft, work on the craft. And you know when you are in the, in the mix, And you see everyone who's around you and people peak at different times. So a lot of it is just staying in, being just uncomfortable when it seems like everyone around you is being really successful. Um, And you're not or it doesn't look that way. But it's just everyone has their own story to tell. And I just kind of just kept staying in it. And one of the things in terms of embracing the discomfort, I am. I had a general, uh, like uh, let's, a general meeting in January 2020, and I was like, "Oh, I need to pitch something." And so I went and I pitched this Christmas movie, and it was the best no I got. And I don't think we take into account no's because every no is not the same no. There are different reasons people say no. And so I went to this Writers Guild event. There was a, um, it was a, it was a special event. And so I saw my writer friends, and I was like, "Hey, I just got the best no I've gotten in a long time." and one of my friends was on the panel his name is Charles Murray he um, has a he has a new he has a new television show going, coming out on Netflix on the 24th with uh, Wesley Snipes and Kevin Hart so he's like a really big EP. and i just started telling him about the christmas movie and he just got on his phone and he called the producer and literally <laughs> that's how uh, what well, was christmas in harlem now holiday in harlem started it was really just Hey, I got this no, but let me tell you about this no. This why snow was it a good no? Tell, tell us why was it a good yes, no? Yes, because I can tell the exec um really wanted it, but she could she was really um, I would say specific about why she couldn't do it at this particular time, how it would make sense for her. She also talked about when it might make sense, why she that she wasn't sure it could happen at that particular time. And you know, like she was she actually referred me to another producer with um their network for a different project so i knew she was invested in me i knew she liked what i had to say and i got just from talking to her like wow she's really she likes this and there was this is an executive who she rescheduled like three or four times so if we're in our writer's mind we could think oh she's rescheduled she doesn't want it and it's a lot of things that happen in our mind that may not necessarily be reality and when um, and then, so what happened is I actually got into pretty much a bidding war between two networks for it. Uh, and she liked it, the pandemic happened. And then I kind of um, Hallmark got interested in it. And so I kind of told her, hey, Hallmark is interested. And she really likes the producers who um, are ultimately doing it. Um, and Michael, Michael G- Goldman and um, Alice Costas, and she really liked them and they've done great work for the networks. and. It, it just didn't happen because at that time, it was the pandemic and things weren't being greenlit. So it's a lot of it is timing. A lot of it is really learning to discern between what's in your mind about why someone says no and when they can give you notes. Like you can tell when somebody's just dis- disinterested and really like, oh, this was a great note.
2: All right, the last clip I'm sharing with you all today comes from creative coach Jen Loudon, who I think really brilliantly spoke about the fact that we need to create emotional space for ourselves when it comes to our writing. And that, like we would approach a beloved child, we need to approach ourselves with self compassion and grace and space for us to keep working. You know, if we're in a tough season or we feel like we don't have time, Beating ourselves up is not only bad for us emotionally, but it's bad for us productively and creatively. It's not going to foster a brain space for us to get our best work done. So I think Jen had a lot of brilliant things to say here, and we'll go out on this.
0: Ten minutes could be enough. Like you don't. What is enough to say you achieved it, right? And you can. What decide is enough, that, but and I what like fits
9: that. in your life? Because a big message in my work is you're actually a human you're not an algorithm. You're not AI. You're not a 20 year old boy, unless you're listening and you're a 20 year old boy, which fantastic, but I'm not. And so what actual time and energy do I have today? And how much do we just deplete ourselves and fall into why bother? Because we have those impossible ideals for ourselves, two hours every day, no matter what or I suck. I mean, come on, how does that feel? Is that motivating? But 40 minutes, okay, 20 minutes, okay, great, I was for 20 minutes, I was totally present, I sprinted, yay, and then we actually stop, and we don't continue the story, I mean, it may be there, but we take our attention, attention away from it, we don't continue the story, well, I would have been better if I did my two hours, we go, I did my 20 minutes, so for me, I had, uh, I'm a runner, I became a runner late in life, I came became a runner almost at 54, And I, when I was a kid, I had a skiing accident and I had surgery and there was a piece of metal in my knee and it's been working its way out as I became a runner without me knowing and come December, I'm like, something's really the matter. So we finally found out come whatever March, that there's a big piece of metal sticking out of my knee and into my IT band. And I got it out, but that meant I couldn't run for a while. And then I had to come back from that and everything else. And so my story, if it becomes, I'm not running at the same rate and the same amount and the same intensity, I suck. And then I don't want to run at all. But if it becomes, look, I'm on my feet. Same thing as running. I mean, writing, right? I'm on my feet. I was on my feet for a half an hour. Yay. Then I want to keep pu- showing up. I want to keep bothering. It's like, it's, it's so like like good hard good to
0: get into yourself. It. Sorry, go Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Lauren. I just, it just sounds like good parenting yourself. I'm it not is good I'm, parenting. And That's it's, but parenting. it's also
9: giving your brain a there there because the, what our brains don't like is that constantly receding into the future when I finally arrive and I'll be enough. So in your case of a sprint, it's like, okay, well, if I can write two hours perfectly every day with no interruptions until I finish this, then I'm enough. That is deeply demotivating. If the, if the network loves the script, then I'm enough. Deeply demotivating.
0: And does this wrap into because I, I know uh, we have a heart out today and I just want to that why needing to be chosen right I think yeah. it all it, I think it's right in there too like well if I'm chosen that's enough
9: exactly right right, right. It, and, and it's just it's the Oprah story right if Oprah loves me if Oprah had said you're the best writer. You've written the best self-help books that have ever been constructed now or forever in the future. And you are amazing. I want you to be my personal guru. Would that have been enough? I remember when my first agent said to me, so I want to know what's going to be enough for you. Is it the New York Times? Is it how many weeks on the New York Times? Like, Right, we all have these stories. Um, there's a great old story in one of Sue Bender's early books. I think it was in Everyday Sacred. She, she went and spent time with uh, the um, Amish and wrote about it in the 80s and 90s. And she, not an author, not even thinking about it. She was a ceramics person, wrote these books sort of just by you know mistake. And she's in the greengrocer and her neighbor says, Hi. And she's like, Oh my God, you'll never believe, you know, what happened? My book's a bestseller. And the neighbor looked at her and went, What
1: number?
7: Oh. Oh my
9: gosh. It's like the critic manifested outside of yourself. <laughs> but 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 it's that thing. It's like, how are you ever gonna be enough if that's your standard out there? You know, I'm, I'm it sure is in you...
0: Hollywood, the same thing. You can be nominated, blah, blah, blah. But yes. there comes a point where they're like, what are you doing now? Exactly. What, what have you done since then? Like yep. it is, you can't let that be your value. No, because that's mean, a business churning things through and exactly. doing widgets, but we're not widgets, right? We're not widgets.
9: So if we are waiting to be chosen in that way, it it we won't create, we won't put our work out there. I mean, I have been there so many times. And, and for me, choosing myself became about developing a business where I could create income and have a direct relationship with clients and students and customers. So that if I do get chosen by Oprah or I do get chosen by a speaking agency or I do get on a a bestseller list, it's gravy. It's like a night, I got an award for the book a couple of weeks ago and I was like, oh, that's nice. Yay, congratulations. And by the way, you're ready when that stuff comes because you've got
0: all of that underneath you.
2: Well, thank you so much to all of our amazing guests for all the wisdom and vulnerability that you shared with us in terms of creating emotional fortitude in our journey. It's not an easy one, but it's the best one. So thank you so much. And of course, thank you to all of you, our listeners, who are the reason we do this show. We wouldn't do it if it weren't for you. And one of the best ways you can give back is to write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I initially had the goal of trying to get 1,000 reviews by the end of the year, realized that was maybe a bit ambitious, but now as we approach 500, we're really, really close. So if you keep those reviews coming, I believe that as a team, we can get 500 five-star Apple podcast reviews in the can before 2022. Speaking of these reviews, I want to start with Greg And, who says, For all writers, not just screenwriters, as a novelist who writes kidlit, this is my favorite writing podcast. It reminds me to think about all the things I've learned, but have stopped thinking about consciously and it introduces me to a lot of new ways to think about writing. Well, Greg, thank you so much. I feel the same way, and um, I'm glad that we can be supporting other writers and creatives beyond just screenwriting. It's all all got the same DNA wrapped up into it, so thank you. All right, Chrissy LA says, This is my screenwriting lifeboat. Wow, this podcast is a complete godsend. I found it during my leap from a creative-adjacent career to pursuing writing full-time. I used to avoid screenwriting podcasts because I would always feel worse after them crumbling under the shame of what I had done wrong in my writing and how far I was from my goals. But Meg, Lorian, and Jeff let us in on a little secret. No matter how successful you are, we all wade through this ocean of doubt consistently. Learning from that vulnerability and having the courage to come back to the page and play is our superpower as creatives. Each episode provides the perfect antidote to whatever roadblock you're facing that day, and the Facebook group is a daily reminder that you are not alone. Happy writing, and thank you, TSL. Thank you so much, Chrissy. Uh, We're honored to have you as a listener. And finally, uh, this review says, stunning a masterclass in screenwriting. Eki Odali says, Meg, Lorian, and Jeff do an incredible job with this podcast. Not only do they dive into the craft of storytelling and how to write effectively, but they hold our hand as we go into the emotional waters of actually writing. They let us know that we are not alone and buoy us when it feels like the current will pull us under. When I'm struggling in the depths of a story, I often revisit old episodes to help give me the strength and inspiration to continue. They remind us that writing is both joyous and hard and that it's okay to rest and play as needed. Thank you for being my writing lifeguards. Well, thank you. It's our pleasure and our honor to serve you in that way. This Friday, we are interviewing playwright-turned-writer-director Stephen Karam, whose play, The Humans, was actually nominated for a Pulitzer Prize on Broadway about five years ago. And he adapted that play into a movie for Showtime through A24. And as you can probably imagine, it's a gorgeous film. Meg Lorien and I caught it a couple weeks ago, and um, if it was up to me, I would guess that it's going to be nominated for some Oscars come springtime, so... If you want to, and I would highly recommend, do yourself a favor and watch The Humans on Showtime. I think you can watch it through the app and that will prepare you for next week's conversation. Also, it's a great movie, so you'll really enjoy it. And until then, of course, happy writing.